We do have a morality police here in the United States. It simply manifests in different ways. In regards to policing women's bodies, I mean, there's rape culture, victim blaming, slut shaming, and the age old question, what were you wearing? Hi team, and welcome to the Sustainably LB podcast. I'm your host, LB. From a young age, I've always been in awe of the natural world, the fashion industry, and what lies beyond the veil. It wasn't until recently that I was able to put these elements into context and begin to understand how it is all beautifully interconnected. How what I felt in my childhood, this thread of connectedness and intrigue, was a calling to something far greater than I could have ever imagined. The Sustainably LB podcast brings all of those elements together, and I'm so glad you're here. Today, I will be talking about how women are viewed through the lens of their clothing. This episode will largely focus on women's body autonomy, or lack thereof, through that lens, and the worldwide war on women with particular focus on what is happening in Iran in the wake of Masa Amini's death in Iranian police's custody for not wearing her hijab properly. I know that this episode is a bit of a departure from what I normally cover here on the Sustainably LB podcast, but I think that it is incredibly important to acknowledge this moment in time and support our sisters and brothers in Iran, especially our sisters as they are affected the most. As you might already know, a big piece of how I look at sustainability is the interconnectedness of all of us. And I have always and will always be in full support of a woman's right to choose, particularly when it comes to her body and her clothing, because I see what we wear as a beautiful expression and extension of who we are, should we choose to express ourselves in that way. And I do not believe that culture or religion has any say in that. And just a reminder, a woman's expression through her clothing is what she thinks it is, not what anyone else labels it as. This is an extremely emotionally charged topic for me for a variety of reasons. And I get it. You might be thinking, why should I be listening to you? After all, I'm just a girl from the Midwest. What could I possibly know about the Middle East or Islam or Iran? Yeah, no, I, I get that. I completely get that. But I will say this with the confidence of a mediocre white man. I know some shit. Much to my dismay, I was only a couple of classes away from minoring in Islam. And while I'm a bit rusty, I know more than most. I'm not a Muslim, nor am I a Christian or of any Abrahamic faith or any faith for that matter. So, you know, take what I say with a grain of salt. Always, always take what you hear with a grain of salt. I encourage you to do your own research and form your own opinions. I have linked all my sources and supporting articles that I used for this episode's research in the show notes below so that if you want to explore anything covered in this episode, there are resources to do that. All right, without further ado, let's get to it. Masa Amini was arrested by Iran's morality police and accused of violating Iran's ultra-conservative dress code by not wearing her hijab properly. While the government insists that she died of a pre-existing heart condition, to which there is no basis, 
the people of Iran believed that the morality police most likely tortured and beat her to death at one of the government's re-education centers. This is largely supported and based on eyewitness accounts. But let's pause for a minute here. Since words matter, I want to call this dress code what it is. Oppressive. I believe that women should always, no matter the country or culture, wear whatever she wants. This includes hijab. Or if a woman wants to wear a burqa, that too should be allowed. For those that don't know the difference, a hijab is a head covering or scarf that covers the hair and often the neck. The burqa is the full veiling that covers the whole head and face, only leaving slits so you can see out of. Regardless, that should be a woman's choice. This policing of women's bodies is nothing new, not to Iran and not to literally just about every other country and community on the globe. But before we dive headlong into Amini's death and the global outrage that there should be, this conversation is worthy of context. Oftentimes, religion, particularly Islam, is polarizing in the West. You are either Islamophobic or you're an Islamist. But we should be cautious of the things we can't criticize. When there is no gray area, no middle, there is no room for conversation. The thing is, is that one thing is hardly ever one thing. So in that breath, the catalyst being the heartbreaking death of Masa Amini at the hands of the Iranian morality police, we need to talk about how we got here. She is one of countless women and girls who have died because of the Islamist and patriarchal rule in Iran. This violence is obviously state-sponsored and institutionalized, which contributes to Iran having one of the highest statistics of violence against women. So here's a little background on Iran and women's rights, because I believe to understand where we are headed, we have to understand how we got here. We must acknowledge where we've been. A lot of people criticize Islam based on what they see now. And while that isn't necessarily wrong, it's an extremely limited scope. Perhaps this is because of the perpetuated othering and the general lack of communication between the West and the Middle East. So long before we were born, women in Iran began pushing for increased rights in the late 19th century. That means the late 1800s. Right? That just kind of blows my mind. But it wasn't until 1936 that the wearing of the veil or hijab was abolished and these women's efforts were abated under the first Shah of Iran and later by his son. Because when you're fighting a system, it is a marathon, not a sprint. And as much as we'd like it, we cannot wish for change overnight. So this has been a decades long fight for change. Anyway, Westerners were, and perhaps are, largely unaware of the happenings in the Middle East and the women's movement in Iran. So while this may have taken everyone outside of Iran by surprise, in no way did this occur in a vacuum. While the abolishment of the mandatory veiling was certainly a victory for women, it was a tragedy too because it had taken away a woman's right to choose. So now women were required to be unveiled and for older generations of women, that was hard to accept. The veil was, for ill or good, 
a part of their identity. Just as the Iranian Revolution and the advent of Alatullah Khomeini and his conservative backing reinstating the mandatory wearing of the hijab in 1979, which caused a drastic reversal of progress for the Iranian women, what women wanted was never a part of the conversation. So over the course of the past century, the state of women's rights in Iran has fluctuated drastically. But again, what I want to highlight here is a woman's right to choose, to choose what is right for her own body with the bare minimum of that being what she gets to wear. These are men making decisions about women's bodies and how these bodies need to be presented or covered through their lens, through the male gaze. This view through that patriarchal lens that women are less than has furthered domestic violence, imprisonment, child marriage, acid attacks, and honor killings in the country. Hijab enforcement has extended to organized acid attacks and instances of women being stabbed by members of extrajudicial groups. The Iranian regime failure to prosecute, prosecute these criminals in any way has only emboldened them. And you don't need to look far for extreme imprisonment examples of the women. Three women who were anti-hijab activists were sentenced to 55 years and six months for failing to wear head coverings. And that's only one example. And all the while, the Iranian constitution and laws state that girls as young as six must cover their hair and that by age nine, they are criminally accountable, meaning they would gladly put a nine-year-old on trial and in prison for not wearing her headscarf or not wearing her headscarf properly, whatever that means, right? That's going to be in the eyes of the beholder in the eyes of these morality police. Again, this is a nine-year-old little girl. In addition, girls in Iran can be married at age 13, often to men well outside their teenage years as males in Iran can be married at 15. And fathers are allowed to marry off their young daughters at the age of nine with a judge's approval, which in this patriarchal system that views women as possessions isn't too hard to come by. In addition, many marriages go unregistered in rural and underserved communities. So there's really no way to tell how many children in Iran are being married off. So you can see the tension. You can see why Iranians are pushing back in force, but the people of Iran and this oppressive regime aren't stranger to protests. Here's a little bit of background there. So while technically not considered a part of the Arab Spring, since that start date is in December of 2010 in Egypt, before that spread across the Middle East for the next few years, Iranians started their most recent protests with the Green Movement in 2009 over contested election results. Then more recently, in 2019, protests broke out over the rise of fuel prices. Perhaps unsurprisingly, violent crackdowns were a response to those protests. And perhaps as you remember or could guess, hundreds were believed to have been killed with thousands more being injured. This is according to estimates released by the UN and 
civil rights groups, but there's really no true way to tell how many people lost their lives in that fight. But this year, these protests, they're different. They're different in scope, they're different in scale, and they're different in passion. To say that they have an unprecedented feminine nature doesn't quite do the movement justice. I often don't like the connotation of the word feminist and and what it carries because women's rights are human rights. You aren't either for everyone being treated equally or you're not. It's kind of that simple. But this mobilization crosses the socioeconomic divide. Young Iranians are leading this charge against decades of oppression. They're being bold, they're being brave, and they have the courage that is unwavering and inspiring. I fucking applaud them. They know that their lives could very, very well be at stake, and they are showing up anyway. These demonstrations have spread to dozens of Iranian cities from the Kurdish region in the Northwest, which Amini was a Kurdish Iranian, to the capital of Tehran, and even more conservative cities like Mossad, where the current leader of Iran is from. So back to kind of present day and the wake of Masa Amini's death at the hands of Iranian police. Now, while I'm not exactly going to call this a feminist movement, women are playing a very, very prominent role in the demonstrations in Iran. They have been publicly burning their veils, with some women cutting their hair in direct affront and challenge to the clerical leaders. Women are not the only ones standing up and fighting back, and it is very, very important to have Iranian men supporting this cause as well. But these women, who for decades since the 1979 Islamic Revolution have faced discrimination and severe restrictions on their rights, are now simply requesting the freedom to be treated as a human being the freedom to be treated as an equal. This bravery and show of resistance is coming at a a great cost to the Iranian people. The government is desperate to quell unrest and has opened fire on protesters. At least 35 people have died in Iran in recent protests over the death of Amini, according to a statement on Friday from the state media outlet the Islamic Republic of Iran broadcasting, but a precise figure is virtually impossible for anyone outside of the Iranian government to confirm, and you can rest assured they aren't going to be giving you an accurate body count. Also, perhaps unsurprisingly, there have been mass arrests as well, with at least 1,200 people having been detained in connection with this wave of protest. This number comes from Iranian state-backed news agency Tasman as of Saturday, with good odds again of those numbers being inaccurate as well. The Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, the elite wing of the Iranian military that was established in the aftermath of the country's revolution in 1979, has accused the protesters of rioting, vandalism, and basically has called for more militarization of the police to protect the security of the nation. Even saying those words, even saying those words is, is terrifying. This is hard to get through. (sighs) According to the Committee to Protect Journalists, at least 17 journalists have been arrested in Iran as these anti-state protests have spread across the country. If you're not familiar with the Committee to Protect Journalists, they're a nonprofit that monitors press freedom 
And as a journalist, I have been receiving their emails for years and have immense respect for the work they do. Journalists are hella prosecuted in nefarious extremist countries that don't want the world to know of their transgressions. That's also why our First Amendment, our amendment of free speech is so vitally important in this country. I won't get too carried away, but if you want to know more about the Committee to Protect Journalists, I have all their info linked in the show notes for you to explore on your own, and I encourage you to do so. Speaking of free speech, that doesn't exist in Iran, really. It is always telling when there is an internet crackdown, isn't it? It's not only to regulate independent news outlets so that there is no unbiased coverage like the crackdowns of the past have been. These are targeted at the Iranian people to quiet their stories and limit their communications to mobilize. Iranian authorities say they will restrict internet access in the country until order is restored to the streets, whatever their definition of that means. Meanwhile, according to the country's semi-official news agency, Fars News, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, those guys again, are asking people to out their fellow Iranians and identify protesters. This sounds familiar, doesn't it? Because it gives me flashbacks of 2020 and the Black Lives Matter protest where our government was requesting the same thing of its citizens. I, I have tattoos and I remember protesters being encouraged to wear long sleeves and cover any tattoos so that they couldn't be identified in pictures. And that, that shit'll scare you. The thought of being, and, and that's in this country, the thought of being arrested for your right to protest, it, I mean, it hits home. But I digress. And I don't want to conflate the two. But there are some stark similarities. So back to this uh, internet crackdown thing. Humans, for all of our flaws, we are innovative. To circumvent these internet blocks, people have been turning to VPNs, both in the country and in the diaspora. Then there are the hackers. Internet activist hacker group Anonymous has entered the chat and targeted the Iranian government over the past week. We love a good hacker, don't we? I mean, I do, but only for good. You know, let's let's use our powers for good. Anyway, Anonymous has announced several breaches in the Iranian government websites, and they have been using the hashtag OpIran, which obviously is short for Operation Iran. This hashtag is all over social media and started gaining traction shortly after Amini's passing. Then on Thursday of last week, Anonymous tweeted that they had successfully hacked more than a thousand CCTV Iranian cameras. This can't exactly be independently confirmed, but I believe them. And honestly, I'm, I'm cheering them on because dictators like to control the media and they want to tell the people of Iran and the people of the world that the protesters are evil, that the protesters are rioting, that the protesters are vandalizing. And in some cases, this is true, but the Iranian people have the right to protest. It is their basic human right to stand up for themselves. So I'm all for the hacking. 
I'm all for the takedown. It might go without saying, but the people of Iran need our help. Here are four actionable ways to help the Iranian people. These guidelines are based on an Instagram post from the wellness therapist, and that handle is linked in the show notes as well. So you can refer to this post, post this post, boost this post, whatever you need to do to further this conversation. Iranians are asking for those outside of Iran to amplify their voices, to share their stories on our platforms, whatever that looks like to you, whatever platforms you have, don't let their deaths be in vain. Let this moment be a lasting movement for change, not a footnote. So one of the things we can do is repost footage of the protests to all our social media platforms. As discussed, the Iranian government is blocking the internet, forcing Iranians to use VPNs and other dangerous methods to get their stories out. Plus, the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps is encouraging citizens to rat each other out. So it's extremely dangerous um, for the Iranian people to be getting their stories out so we can amplify those stories. When we reshare these videos and and, and photos, we're helping these Iranian voices. In doing so, we send a clear message to the regime. The people of Iran have international support, not the government. And this scares them because, like mentioned earlier, they don't want the international community to see what's happening. Footage being widespread online also raises the morale of the Iranians to keep protesting. You know, like, we see you. We support you. We hear you. Your fight is our fight. Secondly, you can use specific hashtags, but also get creative to get the word out too. So obviously her name, Masa Amini, is a great hashtag to use. Iran, Iran protests, Op Iran. Those hashtags are designed for people who already are aware of what's happening in Iran. But to further get the story out to those who might not be as aware of it, use other popular hashtags like fall or Halloween or love or news or politics or, I don't know, get creative, like basic bitch fall. Third, and honestly, this is probably my favorite, um, at least it's the best reminder. It is important that the West doesn't intervene. No superhero complex needed here. No war, no Western intervention. We want to keep our support focused on the Iranian people fighting for their own liberation. The sanctions on the Iranian people are, are bad enough. Let's not engulf their home in war. Iranians don't want Western intervention. They want to fight for themselves, for their own freedom. They deserve to fight for their own liberation. They just want support from the international community and they want the autocracies documented. The last way to support the people of Iran is to organize where you live. Get out on the streets, make some noise, attend support rallies in your community, host rallies in your community, speak up. And honestly, that could just be talking about this issue with your people, you know, your friends and your family. One thing of uh, caution here is be aware 
of giving money um, due to sanctions against Iran. It is illegal to fundraise and send money there. So if you see people collecting funds, be wary of that. Amini's death stoked these already burning flames. And I can't help but think, is Iran in the midst of a moment similar to our Black Lives Matter protests in 2020 in response to George Floyd's murder? Because the initial calls for accountability of the Iranian police have turned into demands for more rights and freedoms. Or perhaps it is because I see echoes of the policing of women's bodies stateside. The overturning of Roe v. Wade is a stark example of women's bodies being policed here in the States. And for many, the removal of abortion protections at a federal level and the trigger laws that followed is a life or death situation. Again, I am not here to compare or conflate these issues, but we do have a morality police here in the United States. It simply manifests in different ways. In regards to policing women's bodies, I mean, there's rape culture, victim blaming, slut shaming, and the age old question, what were you wearing? If you cannot see that the fight in Iran is our fight, that we are all interconnected, I wish for you more love in your life. For we are not free until all of us are free. Free from oppression and to live as we choose. We are the ones we've been waiting for. I stand with the people of Iran. I stand for change. I stand with creating a world where we are all free and equal. I support women being able to wear what they want without a man putting his objectivity onto them. What a man thinks about what I am wearing has nothing to do with me or what I'm wearing. Thank you for listening to this episode. I think that it is important to be a voice and uplift the stories of others when they have been stifled, especially when they have been silenced and oppressed. Iranians are being killed in the dark simply for raising their voices and sharing their stories. They're risking it all just to be heard. The least we can do is support them. Let's be clear. They don't need heroes. We don't need to bring any saviorism into this conversation, and we certainly don't need to co-op these stories. We simply need to do the best we can with what we have and support the people of Iran. Thank you so much again. Um, check out the show notes and links for more resources. I love you. I, I really do. If people can hate without knowing someone, then I believe that we can love without knowing someone. Remember team, together we will unfuck this.